She was afraid to come out of the closet. She was as nervous as she could be. She was afraid to come out of the closet. She was afraid that somebody would see. One, two, three, four. Stick around. We'll tell you more. You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. David Walsh. Dr. Walsh is a licensed psychologist and president of the National Institute on Media and Family, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He is a leading authority on family life, parenting, and the impact of the media on children. He is on the faculty at the University of Minnesota, the author of several books, and is the spokesperson for the American Medical Association's Media Violence Campaign. Hi, Dr. Walsh. I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Well, it's nice to be with you again. Thanks for having me. A friend of mine said, addiction happens behind closed doors. I've heard it and read that 79% of American children are playing computer or video games for eight hours or more per week. How many more are still in the closet that we're not reporting on? <laughs> you know, those, those numbers, if you, if you actually look at the number of kids who are playing video games and at all a week, it's 92%. And you also, by the way, see a big difference between boys and girls, uh, that the number of hours on average that a boy plays each week uh, exceeds 12 hours a week. For girls, it's actually under seven. Do you think that's because the girls don't like the violence? Yes. I, I think that video game producers overwhelmingly are male, and they're overwhelmingly young males. And so a lot of the video games that we see on the market are basically the products of young male fantasies. Unfortunately, we see a lot of violence. We see a growing prevalence of sex in the video games. And a lot of the video games, and we have to remember that it's a pretty young industry, so it's still pretty immature, um, that a lot of the games do not feature a lot of plot development and character development. And we know from research that those are the things that girl gamers would like. So what can a parent do? And what can we as physicians and healthcare workers do to help? You know, I, I think the first thing with video games is to uh, make sure that we are uh, clear about rules and guidelines before play gets out of hand. So making sure that kids know what the limits are, when they can play, how many hours, after homework, whatever the rules that the parents think are reasonable, you know, those should be clear ahead of time. And very importantly, they should be enforced because the kid will learn very, very quickly that, yeah, mom or dad says there's a rule, but they really don't enforce it. And one of the things, Dr. Bill, that we find in our research is that if we ask parents and kids from the same families independently, about rules and things like that around video games, we get different answers. In other words, if you ask the parents, do you have rules that you enforce around video game play, uh, uh, parents at a high percentage will say, yes, we do. If you ask their kids, do your parents enforce the rules, many of the kids will say, no, they don't. And so we need to be consistent. The other thing is to pay attention to ratings. Uh, at the National Institute on Media and the Family, we've been critical of the ratings uh, board that rates video games because it's just an arm of the industry. And even though we've been critical and constantly kind of press them to make improvements, we do say to parents that this is the only tool that you've got. 
so that when you go to a store, when you go to Target or Walmart or Best Buy to pick up that video game that your uh, son or daughter is asking for, there's a, there's a rating now on every box. That wasn't two ten years ago, but today it is. Shouldn't the parent play the game before they turn it over to the child? It, you know, um, that would be a good idea. But to tell you the truth, it's less and less possible for a couple of reasons. One is that the newer video games are enormous. When I say that, it would take hours for an expert to master the game. And when I say hours, I'm talking about, you know, for some of these newer games, it would take dozens and dozens of hours. And probably not realistic, therefore, for a parent to play the entire game. That sort of makes it addicting, doesn't it? Because you just want to, it's like reading a good book and you can't put it down. You want to get to the next chapter. Absolutely. Uh, that that is you you just uh, you just pinpointed one of the one of the concerns. the the other The other problem with parents playing the game first is that a lot of parents didn't grow up with these games, so they don't have the brain wiring to do it. I mean, they don't have the ability to play the games. So their seven-year-old is more adept at, you know, at manipulating the, the game controller than the, than the parent is. Yeah, I tried to play Madden football a couple of years ago, and <laughs> I, I was always getting sacked. Absolutely. You know, and it's that, it's that old principle of the neurons that fire together, wire together. And if, if I didn't grow up doing that, then it's going to be very hard to pick it up as an adult, just as, you know, if I never spoke Spanish as a kid, I can pick it up when I'm 30 years old, but I'm not going to pick it up as easily as I would have as if I were doing it at the age of 10. One thing that's come out of some of the re- addiction research is that just saying no doesn't work real well. Um, is that going to be a problem with the video games? You mentioned rules, and parents just saying no, is that really going to work? Um, you know, if it doesn't work, then I think it's time to get a little bit more serious. And, and, and here's what I mean by that. One of the signs that you might have a problem developing is if the kids constantly break the rules about how much game playing, if they fight every time there's a rule. I mean, I've had parents literally tell me that they just absolutely have come to hate the video game in their house because every time they tell the kid that it's time to stop, the kid has a full-blown temper tantrum. Well, that's a sign and a symptom that that game play is a problem. I have talked to parents who have discovered that their kids get up at night after everybody is asleep and they play video games all night. You know, those are all of the kinds of behaviors that are kind of, you know, I I really was listening to your introduction, you know, things that we do behind closed doors. And sometimes when kids get into trouble with video games, uh, sneaking and it's behind closed doors, that becomes more of a problem. And for those in our audience who have just opened the door and are joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable, you are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking today with Dr. David Walsh. We are discussing how to help the child stuck on video games. Please continue. One of the things that parents need to do is to really uh, kind of pay attention. We have on our website, do you mind if I give our website? Please do. Uh, It's mediawise.org. We have a section on there on video game addiction. It's the kind of questions that parents should ask themselves. It's kind of a reader's digest approach to diagnosis. So, you know, this is not an official diagnostic tool, but if you start to see a lot of signs and symptoms then it's time to to really pay attention and to really start to to get serious about it. What I get calls from parents more and more frequently 
and the gameplay is out of control. And it's become, you know, a terrible bone of contention in the family. They probably waited too long to really try to get their arms around it. Albert Ellis, the father of cognitive behavior therapy, Mm -hmm. passed away about a week ago. Yes. And I was thinking cognitive behavioral therapy, cognition, behavior, emotions, all tied together. Is that an approach to the child who is really stuck on the video game? Has anybody tried that? And do you think it might be successful? You know, in terms of the treatment of video game addiction... That's where I'm going. Yeah, yeah if you could, I think that, that might there. be a promising uh, way to go because we know that cognitive behavioral therapy has been a helpful part of uh, treatment for other addictions. Are there any other suggestions you would have in terms of treatment programs? Boy, here's the bad news. Because people are just now starting to talk about video game addiction, I literally get calls every week from people all over the country, and they say, okay, my spouse's video game is out of control. Um, uh, People who call and say, I need help. A father called me, a physician called me about six months ago whose son had just flunked out of the university. And the reason he flunked is because he had stopped going to classes because he was playing video games all day and night. And when they ask for, you know, can you refer uh, us for a place to get help, boy, it's, there are, this is brand new. There's no organized programs the way we have for alcohol or cocaine or things like that. Although I do think in the long run, that will probably start to happen. How about support groups? I guess uh, nobody started the equivalent of an alcohol anonymous. <laughs> no, not that I know of. There's no 12-step support group for, for this yet. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if we were talking two years from now. I wouldn't be surprised if they started to pop up. Are any other countries ahead of us in this area? Other countries are ahead of us in, in acknowledging that it's a serious problem. And when I say other countries, I'm thinking specifically the three that I know of that are that are paying more serious attention to it than we are, are Korea, Japan, and China. But I don't know that they're ahead of us in terms of treatment. Some of your listeners may have seen the media reports that the Chinese approach is that they just take the young gamers and they put them in labor camps. <laughs> that would play real well in America. Their approach to treatment would be a little bit different than we would uh, than we would recommend in America. So you can't just sort of line them up and go. No, you will behave. <laughs> the, the treatment approach in Korea uh, is much more of an individual psychotherapy approach. But I, you know, I don't know what kind of success they're having. Uh, when I inquired when I was in Korea, they certainly were acknowledging it as a problem, and they certainly um, had government-sponsored uh, treatment programs, but they didn't have any outcome data that they could share. Health education programs have really been very well developed in the high schools and even the junior high schools. Are there any school-based education programs for media literacy and media education and that might help prevent, if you want to say, the runaway train? There are some school-based programs, not enough, but there are some school-based programs for media literacy. Media literacy and media education are a little bit different in that media literacy is really trying to help kids understand how media is constructed and what the goals are so they can become more knowledgeable about, um, about how media works and how it affects us. Media education is a little bit broader, and that would probably talk about the health impact and things like that. And, you know, I don't, I don't, know, that, I don't know of any programs in the schools uh, that are that are really focused on that. Now we just piloted a program that's a health and fitness program called Switch, 
uh, it's, it, it's switch, switch what you do, view, and chew. Uh, and it's a program that was targeted for third, fourth, and fifth grade families and targeted at the three behaviors that we know from research uh, put kids at risk for overweight and obesity, which is physical activity, screen time, and what kids eat. And uh, we had very, very good results from our SWITCH program. Uh, we piloted it in two communities, one in Minnesota here and the other in Iowa, and we got very, very uh, positive results in terms of kids actually making positive changes on those three behaviors. Well, I'd like to end on this very positive note, and I do want to thank Dr. David Walsh, who has been my guest today. We have been discussing what to do for video game groupies. I also wish to thank Paul Vance and Brian Highland, who wrote and performed the Itsy Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini, which I sort of paraphrased. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Please send your questions and comments by email to xm at reachmd.com or visit us at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.